Hello and welcome, Nate Pickowitz. Hey, how are you, David? Yeah, really good, Nate. Thank you so much for joining us again. Nate, you've been a, a regular guest on both Expositive the Word and the Bar podcast, and we're delighted to have you back with us again today to talk about your brand new book, which has just been released, The Kindness of God. That's right. Absolutely. Well, Nate, um, I'm sure most people watching or listening would already know all about you, but in case one or two don't um, and they're not familiar with your ministry, just tell us everything we need to know about you in 60 seconds. Sure, yes. I'm a pastor in Gilmanton Ironworks, New Hampshire. So even people who are in New Hampshire don't know where that is. So, uh, <laughs> But we've been here for, we planted this church 11 years ago, and uh, I'm the, the teaching pastor here. I've got a wife and three wonderful kids. Um, and my whole world is just my family and the ministry. And, and in my spare time, the Lord gives me the opportunity to write books. Uh, and hopefully those are going to be helpful for the church. So I have a pretty simple life, but uh, but I enjoy what I do. So, yeah. Yeah, great stuff. Well, last time we spoke to you, we we're just getting ready to move into a, a brand new church building. How's that move gone so far? Yeah, we moved in about a year ago and did a whole bunch of renovation work. And so uh, anybody who's been through a church renovation knows the challenges of yeah. that. So, but it was very good. You know, um, the Lord was was good to us, gave us a property that we could afford, uh, was able to move the whole congregation in. And that was that's just been a really nice, a nice time to have that space. So very thankful for that. Yeah, brilliant. Really good. Are you going to be writing a book one day about church planting, Nate? All this experience uh, that you're, you're gaining. So, yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that uh, because I've actually got a book coming out with Founders Ministries probably the end of this year. Uh, it's all letters to church planters. So, um, really? okay. yeah, I've got so that's that's in the works. So just don't don't speak too quickly about an idea because then I might get stuck doing it. So uh <laughs> <laughs> But, oh, well, yeah, that's that fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, great. Well, we look forward to that. That's really good. So we're going to be talking about your new book, like we mentioned, The Kindness of God, just just been released by uh, Moody Publishers. Um, yes. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And Nate, you start the book um, of the same name, um, The Kindness of God, telling us about a lady called Susan. And I think this is a, a really helpful place to start the book in our conversation as well, because it helps us quickly get to the point in which some people struggle to see God's kindness when they're a uh, certain people that are in such difficult lives tell us about susan nate yeah susan is uh, the daughter of one of my church members who uh, passed away after a long battle with cancer and uh, was able to be with the woman susan in, in the hospital before she passed was able to minister to her mom um and you know it was just a very difficult time um and i started the story the book with that story specifically um, you know, certainly that her mom was was happy to share and was hopeful that it was going to be um, uh, that would it would accomplish much in terms of ministering to people. But I started the book with a with a challenging story because I think that it's usually in those moments where people question the kindness of God or they question the goodness of God that if God is good or God is kind, then why does He allow a woman to go through, you know, breast cancer and, and brain cancer? Why do children suffer? Why do people get robbed at gunpoint? Why do all these terrible things happen? So I wanted to just start off with something very, um, very intense, but also very real to kind of set the stage and say, look, this is not a pie in the sky. Let's all just be nice to each other kind of a book like this is these are real issues with, for real people 
but they're being met by a very real and true God. So mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to start with that. But, um, you know, without spoiling the ending, uh, you know, uh, Susan, she, even though she went through a whole, a whole ordeal, uh, I believe that in the end, God was glorified even through the struggles. So I was very thankful to know her and thankful to know her mom as well. Yeah, great. Thank you, Nate. And this leads to a commonly asked question, which is how can a good God or a kind God allow such bad things to happen? How do you answer that question, Nate? Yeah, I think it's a it's a challenging question because I think there's a lot of presuppositions that go into it. Uh, when someone will accuse God of somehow not being good or not being kind, I think you have to start with a couple of different things. I think to recognize, first of all, that there is sin in the world. And the sin that's in the world is not God's fault. God is not the author of sin. He's not the author of evil. But that all of us, through transgression, through sin, um, you know, death enters the world through sin. So everything that's terrible about this world right now comes because of the fall. If a person denies the existence of sin or the existence of wickedness, that's going to be problematic. Because if we understand that we're sinners and we understand that God is just and God is good, then God must also deal with sin. So what happens is that if we don't have a right understanding of sin, and we misunderstand the character of God, we we put God on trial as if God owes us an answer, or that even God would owe us kindness. But Mm -hmm. if we recognize that all have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God, then we would quickly recognize that God doesn't owe us anything. And I think that's the place to start. Once you realize that God doesn't owe you anything except judgment for sin, then whatever you receive from him that's good and that's kind becomes a great blessing and your perspective changes. But um, so part of the reason I wanted to I began sort of in that arena was to try to correct the misunderstandings. I think people and I'm going to include myself in this. It's very easy for us to have a pity party for ourselves and say, oh, it's not fair. It's not, you know, why is why am I not getting what I want? Well, you know, to be clear, we we don't deserve it. But if God does bless us, if He does pour out kindness, it's purely because He's good and He's righteous and He's loving. So I think starting with the right presupposition is really important when you talk about this topic. Yeah, that's really helpful, Nate. Thank you, Nate. We both have a very high view of the sovereignty of God. So, how do we reconcile this with the kindness of God and also with the evil that we see playing out across the world? Yeah, I think Romans eight twenty eight is really helpful with this um, understanding. And the, the Bible says in that verse, "We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose." So, in the sovereignty of God. He is able to use the things that we deem to be bad or wrong or evil. And certainly in his eyes, things are bad or wrong or evil. But he's able to use those things to serve his ends. Again, he is not the author of sin and wickedness. Um, He doesn't make Satan do the things that Satan does. But ultimately, you see in the story of Job, Satan is still subjected to the plan and the will of God. So nothing can happen outside of his control So even the terrible things that happen, God has a a remarkable way of working those bad things together. And I I don't want to say the word manipulate, but he's able to to, uh, create opportunities 
to produce things that are good through the bad things. Um, so I even think about the story of Joseph, who was enslaved and wrongly mistreated and all these other yeah. things. What does he say at the end of his life in chapter 50? He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God is able to use bad things to accomplish good ends. And he does it in only a way that God can do it. So, so yes, God can use our trials. God can use our suffering to produce good and even to show us kindness, believe it or not, which is an, a hard, a large part of the book as well. Yeah, yeah. How does God show his kindness um, through suffering, Nate? Yeah, see, that's a question for the ages, Dave. So this is this is where uh, theologians, you know, wrestle and, and, and wrangle together. I've got a chapter in the book called The Kindness of God and Suffering. And um, I think what we have to understand, again, is that in Hebrews 12, for example, the Bible says that God disciplines those he loves and he chastens us as a beloved son. So I think about it this way, you know, a a. a a person who works with metal, a metallurgist, you know, they take a, a piece of metal that has lots of impurities and that's all, you know, rugged, and they jam it into a fiery furnace. Now, you have to believe if you're a piece of iron, you don't enjoy being in that fiery furnace, right? But when he, pull, when he pulls it back out again, he's scraping off the dross. He's beating this thing into a, uh, into a pulp because he wants to produce a pure and useful piece of metal. And that's what God does with us. He, he purges our spiritual impurities. Um, he, he refines us. He sanctifies us so that we'll be more Christ-like, uh, closer to him in our relationship, more trusting in him. And in the end, he does produce good things. So in, in the chapter, I've actually got 12 different ways that God demonstrates kindness in the midst of suffering. James 1 even says that we are to count it joy when we in, endure various trials and well why is that james well because the testing the the refining of your faith produces endurance so that's one way you know if if you want to be an indestructible christian and have strong faith and grow in the lord well the only way that god does that is through trials so even though the trial itself the suffering itself might feel terrible and it might be terrible but in the end god can produce strong faith and he can produce a, a good relationship and he can produce assurance of salvation even through those times of suffering. So it's a matter of perspective, having a biblical perspective on our suffering and on our trials. Yeah, brilliant. When we think about kindness, we we, we might think about how humans are kind to one another, which is often very half-hearted and, and, you know, transactional often, isn't it? But what does the Bible actually teach us about the kindness that God shows us? Yeah, so God is kind to us in lots of different ways. You know, one of the ways that I outlined the book was to kind of just sort of think through, you know, the various elements of a Christian's life, everything from salvation to confession and repentance of sin to marriage and family, everything, and try to just look at a, a large picture in a, in a short book, you know. Um, but even starting with salvation, you know, Titus uh, chapter 3 says uh, that when the kindness of God and his love for us uh, appeared he saved us so it's salvation is a kindness of god he doesn't owe us salvation he saves because he's good and because he's loving and because he's kind romans 2 4 said it's the kindness of god that leads to repentance so our repentance is a kindness first peter chapter one talks about our sanctification being a kindness of god so everything that is encompassed in the christian life really is extended to us as a kindness of god 
And I think we would do well to focus on it that way and see it clearly for what it is. Yeah, yeah. David writes in Psalm 63 that God's loving kindness is better than life. And you mentioned this in the book. What did he mean by this? And why is it important for us to store these truths up within our own hearts? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So I'll give you a little tidbit that I haven't told anybody else in this whole (laughs) promotional tour here. So you get the inside scoop, Dave. Um, There was actually talk about titling this book Better Than Life. That was batted around for a while. And then eventually, uh, you know, you're always kind of wrestling with the publisher. I eventually won and I called it the kindness of God. But uh, no, but why, why better than life? Well, because I think that sometimes we tend to think of our life as being kind of the be all end all. Like if I could just have a good life, then that's it. You know, you know, good health and money and, you know, whatever I need, a nice house and a good family. And we think that somehow you know, this life is is all there is. And if I can just get what I can get here, I'll be okay. But in the scope of eternity, this life is nothing. And if we don't know God, then this life is all we're going to have. But if we know God, and we know his mercies, and we have his salvation, and we're going to have eternal life with him forever, but even beyond the blessings, if we even just know God personally, Knowing God is better than anything we could obtain in this life. So I I tend to think that that's what David's talking about in Psalm 63, that understanding a relationship with God, especially in his loving kindness, is just better than anything I'm going to drum up for myself here. God is better. His kindnesses are better than my life. That's what Paul says, right? He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. The life I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So even Paul saw my life is better. My life is yeah. is in Christ. So I'm giving a very long answer. I apologize. I'm a pastor. I preach a lot. But I just get <laughs> I get fired up about this stuff because I just think it's so important that we have a right view of the character, attributes, and workings of God. I think it makes a tremendous difference in the life of a Christian. Yeah, amen to that. Amen. Nate, how does God show his kindness to us through salvation? Well, again, yeah, he, you know, he doesn't owe us salvation. He doesn't owe us eternal life. There was never an agreement that when we came out of the womb that we would just have a ticket into heaven. The Bible says that, no, you know, we're born sinful and the wages of that sin is death. So, again, if God were to give us pure justice, it would be uh, wrath over sinfulness because our sinfulness is an affront to God. So even by sending his son to give his life as a ransom for us, even by giving uh, forgiveness for sins, even by justifying the sinner by grace through faith in Christ, uh, even Christ giving his own life, giving his righteousness for us, those are all gifts. That's pure kindness that nobody has deserved or earned. So even, even if he were to give us nothing else, sanctification, you know, a life with our families, anything else, even if he only gave us salvation, that would be a kindness above all kindnesses. So to redeem us and make us a people for himself, to adopt us as children, that's just the the kindest thing he could do. So yeah, the kindness of God and salvation is huge, huge. Yeah. Yeah. You just mentioned sanctification. Just in case anyone um, listening or watching isn't familiar with that term. First of all, what is sanctification? And also, how does God show his kindness through our sanctification? Yeah, so sanctification really is just the the process by which we grow 
spiritually to be more like Christ. It's the it's the the slow death to the old self, the old me that's dead in my trespasses and sins, and it's more growth and life in Christ. It's it's a life of holiness. So it's less of the old me, more of Christ. That's what sanctification basically is. It's that process of growing. So, um, but even in that process of growing, um, you know, God again, He could save us and just bring us to heaven and not ever change us, and He would be allowed to do that. But it's actually kindness that He grows us. He doesn't leave us in a in an immature, you know, infant state. He actually begins to form Christ likeness in us and change us. I mean, how many people? And I'm Dave. I'm sure you know people too. Where you are, I do. I know people here where you know they've been enslaved to addictions or they've been enslaved to guilt and shame or they've you know struggled with all kinds of spiritual issues, anxiety, depression, you know, whatever it is. And and when God saves them spiritually, okay, so He saves them eternally. They're in Christ. And yet, even though they're saved and going to heaven, God still, in his mercy, begins to change them here on earth. He frees them from certain addictions. He frees them from guilt and shame. It's not that our life gets better like prosperity gospel, but rather that we begin to experience a closeness to him. We begin to grow closer to him. We begin to change. So all of that change, all of that growth in likeness. That's a that's a, a grace and a mercy and a kindness that he would that he would change us even here. Um, so I praise God for all the people that God has delivered out of darkness, even in this life. It's a it's a remarkable thing. Yeah. As much as it's true that some people struggle to understand God's kindness, it's also true that some people have skewed God's character and made him seem more like Father Christmas. You just mentioned the prosperity gospel as an example of that. Nate, uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, so there's a section in the book that I kind of addressed. I sort of tiptoe into it only because the scope of the book just couldn't provide enough space for it. But even in our culture, you know, we do have these extremes. You know, either either there's an extreme that believes that that somehow God owes us equity, that he owes us money, that he owes us favors, that he owes us anything materially, or on the other side that God somehow owes us freedoms god owes us rights or whatever we think that god owes to us and we victimize ourselves in the process here i think the understanding kindness it it does scratch a cultural itch here because even culturally uh, we have to understand that god doesn't owe any nation any people anything he doesn't he doesn't promise us prosperity he doesn't promise us anything so again to understand that to say that if we have a home and if we have clothes on our back and if we have a, a government that isn't, you know, tearing us down, uh, we should praise God and thank him for his kindness. Um, I think that's really important. Yeah. We live in such a materialist, materialistic world, don't we? And it may be easy for some people to only see God's kindness when prayers are being answered in ways in which people imagine. But actually, sometimes God actually closing a door is really the kindest thing, isn't it, Nate? Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you can attest to this as a believer, but there's been so many times where I've prayed to God for something I want or something I think I need, and he doesn't give me what I want. And it's easy for me in my selfishness to get upset about that. But I can look back in my life and, you know, just see that there are times he said no, and I thank him for it later on. And without getting myself in trouble, I remember 
you know, when I was in college, uh, I had a girlfriend and when she dumped me, I remember praying and, oh, Lord, you know, bring her back in my life. Well, I am so glad for the sake of the wife I have now (laughs) in my children and my life. I'm so thankful he didn't answer my prayer back then. You know, nothing against the person, but, you know, God knows what's best for us, you know, and and we, we grumble and we complain against him. But the truth is, is that, you know, he knows that sometimes by withholding a blessing or an opportunity, it's the best thing. Um, so I think we just have to, we have to keep eternity in light. We have to keep the fact that God knows. I like to think about it this way. You know, we might be walking down the stairwell and we only see one or two steps in front of us. God sees the whole staircase down to the bottom. So we just don't know what's coming. He does. And we have to trust him, even with the things that, that we might, uh, think we need. And he says, no, we have to trust him. Yeah, really helpful. Thank you. Uh, one of the greatest conundrums in the Bible is how those who love and honor God seem to have a difficult life, while those who hate and despise him seem to have a life of ease and prosperity. Why is that, Nate? Well, that's a question for the ages. I mean, that's the psalmist. Oh, Lord, why do the wicked prosper? Oh, Lord, you know, and these, that's why we have the imprecatory psalms, right? Um, so, yeah, it's a challenging question. But again, we have to look at it in light of the fact that If someone is doing well materially here on earth, but they don't know Christ and they don't have forgiveness of their sins, their success, their prosperity is very short lived. And God actually will, I believe, will give them prosperity and give them an opportunity so that they might repent and believe in him. But, you know, adversity always comes with the Christian life. Um, It's always part of, 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 you know, what we are and who we are. I mean, look at just the history of the church and the apostles. Look at the life of Jesus himself. Um, Jesus did not live here on earth with a a prosperous, prestigious ministry. Um, It was, you know, certainly a grand and marvelous and victorious victorious ministry. But, you know, to think that somehow, um, you know, Christianity is going to be a life of ease, I think we're mistaken. But I think we have to have the right perspective and and not thinking that, whether I do well here on earth or not has anything to do uh, with my standing with God. I think we have to fix that in our minds. Um, And in truth, you know, if the Lord does not give us the riches and the health and everything that we want, that actually might be a kindness to us because he knows us. And for some people, they get everything they want and it ruins them. But other people who don't have anything and they can say, all I have is Christ then I have enough. Right. So yeah. again, it's perspective. You know, we have to, I was just thinking about this today. You know, I, I long to see Christ as all sufficient in my life. I think we pay lip service to that. And I think we want that, but boy, do I really believe and live as though he is my all sufficient savior. And I'll tell you a lot of times living too well here muddies the waters for that. But the most, uh, the most, uh, challenged and suffering Christians, they tend to have the most joy because they see God's goodness in the, in the face of their trials. So good, Nate. Thank you. When we sin or have a season where we are not being obedient Christians, does God sometimes withhold his kindness towards us? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I think he certainly, I think he certainly does, but I think in his own way. Um, because I think you have to, again, think about it a little bit elevated above, above what we would consider to be God's kindness. 
Um, you know, he doesn't ever condemn us eternally. That's Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Um, but God does, um, you know, give us the consequences of our sins sometimes um, on earth. We experience that. There are times when our communion with God is not as strong um, because certainly sin does put up barriers in terms of our communion with God. However, our union with God is never in jeopardy if we're really in Christ. So, yeah, I think there are times when God uh, will not give us a kindness that he would otherwise give. But I think we have to be careful even thinking about that as though God could withhold it. If kindness is pure grace, then how much could we demand, right? Yeah, right I mean, then yeah. grace, grace is no longer grace. So, you know, I think, yes, God doesn't obligate himself to be kind to us in certain ways. But truthfully, if we're thinking about it right, um, I think that in those times when we're in periods of sin and he withholds blessing and it drives us to our knees, that is kindness. You know, you're right. Because otherwise we wouldn't repent. It, It would be temporally, in my perspective, unkind to me if God just allowed me to ruin myself. Like my perception would be that's terrible. Don't do that, Lord. So for the fact that he delivers us to consequences um, to save us from hell, uh, that's very kind, very gracious. Yeah. Yeah. Nate, how have you personally experienced the kindness of God? Well, I get to be on your show, you know, so (laughs) I mean, that's a tremendous kindness. And congratulations for crossing 100,000 subscribers. So there you go. Thank that's you, that's a kindness well, thank of God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you, thank you for your contribution. Mate. We've got your Galatians <laughs> series on there. and oh, You've been right. interviewed many times. So, yeah, thank you for your contribution. Sure. No, I mean, all, all, uh, all teasing aside, um, it, it's hard for me to even list the ways that God has been kind. Um, but I do. I do ponder it. Actually, the whole reason I even wrote the book was because I was finding myself in my own prayers when I would pray with my children at night or when I would just pray on my own. I would find myself just kind of um, by habit, just thanking God for being kind to me. I just began to see all the different ways that God was was extending grace and kindness, and I would just thank him. And as I was praying one day, I just kind of said, I wonder if anybody's ever written a book about this, like, you know, exploring the kindness of God. And so I just wanted to to take a stab at that. And explore that, especially in this cultural moment. But I mean, you know, the fact that I get to be a pastor of a, of a growing church, a great church, the fact that God lets me write books and, and do the thing I love, the fact that it gives me a wife and my children, the fact that I have health to get through my day. I mean, there's just so many abundant kindnesses. The fact that I belong to Christ is a tremendous kindness. So there's so many things I couldn't even list them all. And I, I would suspect you couldn't either, uh, that God is kind to us. That's right. Absolutely. Well, Nate, that's absolutely fantastic. As always, we're going to take a very quick break before returning to hear how Nate answers the signature bar question. Very kindly gave us his uh, teaching through um, the book of Galatians as well. It's excellent. Um, I'll make sure there's a link to that as well. Do check that out um, as well if you get time. So, Nate, before you go, um, take a moment to let us know your closing thoughts and also let people know how they can keep in touch with you. Yeah, so I'm available on social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, and I'm pretty much available through those channels. Um, but, you know, honestly, Dave, I'm just so thankful to be able to talk about this book. Um, you know, we, you and I have been connected for several years now. 
it's always a joy to talk about the things of God with you and just to hear what's going on. So I'm just excited for the fact that um, that maybe people might read something like this and be encouraged that they maybe a person who's in a trial right now uh, might be able to see through the trial and see God's kindness and grace in the midst of that. So that's really what I hope. I, I try to write books that are helpful to the church uh, and encouraging to believers. So that that's all I'm hoping for is that believers would be encouraged through this project. Yeah, brilliant. Well, Nate, thank you very much for your time. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you. And we look forward to speaking to you when your next book comes out, whenever that's going to be. I'll let you know. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.